0: Welcome to Radical Math Talk, the podcast dedicated to the revolutionaries in math education. I'm your host, Kwame Sarfomense. And on this podcast, I will highlight the incredible educators who are reshaping, redefining, and decolonizing the way that math education is taught in our schools. In other words, this will not be your typical math podcast. My goal is to center the stories and hidden truths that will not only ignite a cultural paradigm shift in math education, but more specifically, explore the multiple ways in which math can be used as a vehicle for social justice and anti-racist solidarity. So if you are ready for a math revolution like no other, then sit back, relax, and lend me your ears as we embark on this journey together. Enjoy the show. Welcome everybody to a brand new episode of Radical Math Talk, and this is the show for the revolutionaries in math education. I'm your host, Kwame Safra Mensah, and if this is your first time tuning in or listening to this podcast, I welcome you and I hope that you'll come back for future episodes after this one, which I hope you'll enjoy. And if you are a returning listener or a viewer of the podcast, I welcome you back. And I hope that today's episode is one that you find informative, enlightening, and most importantly, insightful. So uh, before we get to our main event, as always, if you are tuning in from YouTube, please make sure to hit that subscribe button, um, that red subscribe button. And that will give you notifications on future episodes and new content on that Dane Talk channel. Um if you're tuning in from Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast, make sure you subscribe there as well. And of course, we're always accepting any monetary donations for folks that want to continue to help us build this platform and bring on these phenomenal guests. Uh, if you're on Cash App, the handle would be money sign ID talk for Ed. If you are on Venmo, you can reach us with the handle at Kwame SM. That's K-W-A-M-E-S-M. Thank you kindly. So we're going to get into things with our guest. And today's episode is one that's going to be focused on the importance of mindfulness. So as somebody whose mind just goes in different places, and has a hard time focusing on the task at hand, what needs to get done, um, it's always important to just have a space where you can quiet your mind enough to be aware of things that are in front of you and just of other people in general. And I think that it's something that, I continue to learn more about just from different people who are very well versed in this mindfulness movement. And today's episode is we're going to have somebody who's going to talk to us about mindfulness within the context of mathematics, which I find very interesting and intriguing. So uh, without further ado, I want to bring on Deborah Pairt to the podcast to talk with us about what mindfulness looks like in the math classroom and how it could be beneficial not only to us as math educators, but to our math learners as well. So let's bring Deborah in to speak with us about mindfulness. Let's do it.
1: Hey, Kwame, how you doing?
0: I am doing well, Deborah. How you feeling?
1: I'm feeling mighty fine. Thank you.
0: (laughs) Yes. I'm just glad that I got the names right.
1: (laughs) And I appreciate that you got the names right. <laughs> yeah, we,
0: we we take pride in that. As somebody who grew up with a very unusual name, and you know, people jacked it up all the time from teachers to peers. I, I understand the feeling.
1: Yes, I've Go actually been you. corrected a time or two.
0: <laughs> yes, for sure. <laughs> but first and foremost, thank you for coming on uh, to the podcast. Um, I've been following your work for a little bit, and and I'm I love it. I'm intrigued. I'm all about the, the Mather movement, you know what I'm saying? So I'm glad we can bring it onto this platform. So um, let's talk. start from the beginning. Uh, because with, uh, with all my guests, I'm always interested in learning about their mathography. So um, one thing that I always love to do with my students who are in my classrooms is I always want to know what their math story is how they've grown with math, how they started off with math throughout their schooling and throughout their life. And it's something that helps me give context as to how they perceive the subject okay. and, how, and what their feelings are about it. And I feel like it's something that's important for us to do as educators, especially those who hold on to that trauma that we felt as math learners in our K-12 schooling. So I'm interested in knowing um, from you how you've been able to grow grow up with math throughout your life, from the time you were little up until you know what you're doing right now.
1: Okay. I know you said we're here to talk about math, but I have to be honest, my mathography starts with my academic identity in general. I was not a normal kid, and when I say that, I mean, they didn't know what to do with me. I was really young when I started reading. I loved all things words. I'm the kid who was stroking my phonics notebook, my workbook, like, yes, words. I want to read everything. Um, I'm still an avid reader to this day, and I was welcomed into the conversations when it comes to reading and writing. I've always been gifted and talented in that way, but I was also always the youngest, tiniest learner in the room, and here's why. So I went to school, first day of school, first day of kindergarten. I was there one day and then found out that I did indeed get accepted to a private school. So the next day, I went to that school, and I did a week of kindergarten. And then I did a week of first grade and they were still trying to figure out how to challenge me. So I did second grade. And I was six years old when I finished second grade in this private school. But because of social things and taking the bus, my mom said, you know what? Let me bring my baby home to the neighborhood school. And here's where it begins. A little black girl couldn't possibly be that smart. She's not going to third grade. There's, there's no way. So they put me in first grade. And I remember um, probably partially from really experiencing it. And then partially from hearing the stories over the years that I was really frustrated and they were learning the days of the week and how to write their name. And I was complaining like, mom, they're babies. (laughs) So the compromise was they put me in New York. I grew up in New York and what they called EP it's like advanced placement in elementary school. If you can believe that. Mm. Um, So I went to advanced second grade instead of third grade and finished it out. You know, like I said, always the youngest, always the smallest. And we had a graduation in sixth grade and I was the valedictorian of the class. But by sixth grade, I was already over math. So like I said, I was received openly with open arms because I was a reader and a writer. But in math class, when I asked questions, I was being sassy. I was being rude. And I remember my bully from elementary school was my fourth grade teacher, not another student. So I remember multi-digit, learning multi-digit multiplication. And the question that I asked was, so wait a minute, there's one zero and then there's two zeros and then there's three zeros, will that go on forever? Like, why does that work? And I remember being so excited and wanting to know. And I remember her saying, stop asking so many questions and just follow the steps. Wow. <laughs> and I was like, "What? Oh, in math class, you're not allowed to ask questions. So I'm going to keep hanging out in the reading and writing streets because I get to ask questions. I get to have an opinion and I don't get shut down. So I pretty much didn't really ask questions. I always made straight A's because I'm Caribbean. My family's from Jamaica and my dad would say, what happened to the other two points if I made a 98%? Oh, wow. So, yep, <laughs> yep excellence was it. Like, that is the standard. So I'm going to jump forward to algebra. I took algebra in seventh grade. Again, ooh, this is interesting, but to help me understand how it connects to the world and my life. And And my teacher threatened to send me to the principal's office for being rude and obnoxious <laughs> for asking questions that have nothing to do with the math. So, silence. Okay, this math thing, not doing so great. And <laughs> here's the kicker: this is this is gonna be one for the books. Okay. I still straight A's, and in New York we had state exams, Regents exams. Regents. You had to. Yup. Um, I'm someone who I got perfect scores on Regents exams, and my favorite math class was geometry. And I heard you talking to another guest about proofs. I loved proofs. Oh my gosh, probably because I loved words, right? But I didn't love the way it was taught. I wasn't interested in what the teacher was saying because she was just reading the textbook. So I didn't pay attention in class. I sometimes maybe had a side conversation with a friend, but I kept making perfect scores on her test. So she accused me of cheating. I remember her sitting on the corner of my desk while I took a test because she couldn't believe that I could be doing so well without her help. Oh, I just read the textbook, right? Come on. So (laughs) that was it for me. I went to the counselor's office. I said, okay, I need to have a regents diploma. I have to be top honors. How much math do I have to take for that to happen? So when do I get to stop? And I was told that after trigonometry, I didn't have to take any more math and I could still meet all that criteria. So, out of 708 graduates, I was seventh. And I stopped after trigonometry. And here's another kicker. I had no teacher. My trigonometry teacher had a freak accident, like Labor Day weekend. So, we started the year with a sub. Mm -hmm. The teacher never came. The sub gave us packets and tests. I got all A's. Never had a teacher. (laughs) So... Um, yeah, my mathography, I told you, I'm gonna take you some places. Uh, (laughs) And after that, I was like, I'm gonna pick a major in college so I don't have to take math. I'm I'm done with this math drama and foolishness. I took pre-calculus in college, and the professor told us on the first day, if you didn't pass the POP placement test with this score, you should go take remedial math. And if you are a person of color statistics have, t- have shown us, you know, data. tells no. Yeah. I'm no joke. I, I promise you that you will probably not do well. So I recommend you go take it. And I convinced one other person of color, um, a young lady was like, we are not leaving. We are staying and we're going to make an A in this class. So we did. And that was it for me. I was out, out of the math game, done with math, I got my undergraduate in speech communications, early childhood. I was a computer science major, a pre-med major. I did all, but everything that needed math, nope. Done with that, done with that. (laughs) And remember, skipped kindergarten, skipped first grade. So I had the intellectual capacity, but I opted out. The counselor didn't try to sway me out of it. No one ever tried to convince me to stick with math. I don't know what difference it would have made, but no one tried and i went through college not taking math and it wasn't until i was pursuing my master's degree wow which also educational studies with a concentration in what literacy literacy i needed one more elective
0: it had to be a math class
1: (laughs) it didn't have to be no it didn't have to be okay i just said Something about how kids learn math. I'll take that. It seems interesting. Okay. Fell in love. And here is why. All those questions I had, this professor answered. Because the whole class was around why before how. And understanding conceptually, which is what I know now I wanted. I realize now my teachers weren't only being mean. Some of them were but they probably didn't know the answers to my questions and I was just trying to make sense of math and no one could help me, but that professor did it and then I got mad. I was like, oh my gosh, we're teaching kids math in a way that is so horrible and painful, but we don't have to. I want all kids to understand why before how, like I want this for kids. So that's when I fell in love and started teaching math differently, and a colleague, Adrian Baytops, we were both literacy heads. We started reading everything. We started throwing math parties, solving problems together, web, sh- web uh, workshops and conferences, eating it up. And eventually wow. we both went back to grad school and focused on ele- and elementary mathematics. And she did K-8 math. And that, so that's why I said my mathography is a little all over the place, but. It's at. I'm a how does a person like me become an author on a math curriculum?
0: <laughs> All right, and and mind you, like we're talking about, you know, something that a lot of us use, even myself, you know, like mm-hmm. illustrative math, like that is for many of us the Mount Rushmore when it comes to like critical thinking and math, getting those tasks. Mm -hmm. real world applications all these things we talk about and And wait
1: till you dig into the k5 with that culturally responsive embedded and the math language routines embedded in it come on
0: listen we listen we're gonna hold that thunder for that part but i have (laughs) so many questions about your story which is awesome but but also kind of frustrating too because we talk so much Mm -hmm. about students who feel like they're not math people
2: Mm -hmm.
0: and we Mm -hmm. know that Mm -hmm. that doesn't make that doesn't exist everybody has the capacity to be math people Mm -hmm. um but it's all about changing your mindset so when we talk about growth versus fixed mindsets and all that it always speaks to that um i'm wondering just based on your experience do you believe that schools particularly teacher preparation programs just aren't preparing pre-service math educators in the proper way and i know that wasn't the case for myself i just mm-hmm. happened to be really good at math i was a math major in school so i already had the content knowledge it was more about the the pedagogy how to deliver the instruction mm-hmm how to reach the learners, which was the learning curve. But um, in your case, like, what are your thoughts about teacher preparation when it comes to um, pre-service math teachers and how that's being done in our universities and institutions?
1: Well, that's a great question. And with my love being elementary ed, I guarantee you there are many elementary teachers who chose elementary because they didn't want to have to deal with math. So there's that part. Then you look at the elementary program and it's about reading, teaching, reading, teaching, writing, teaching, reading across the content areas. There is so much support I took, even from my master's program, even though my concentration was in literacy, that one elective, that was it for the math that I took. And my master's was in educational studies, not just literacy. I just had a concentration in literacy, reading records, dealing with um, children, gifted education, just everything. But there was not anything specifically about math. And I know that has changed. When I wanted to get a second master's, I wanted to get one in elementary mathematics. I couldn't find a program that didn't exist at the time I was looking for it. So I just had to do graduate work. I had to get special permission to do an endorsement and focus on elementary mathematics and study cognitively guided instruction and such. So that a part of it is that I don't, we don't give the same attention to early numeracy and number sense development and the foundations of mathematics like we do for reading, right. which is why I'm on the math or movement Because I also think it is societal and it's the language. So I I know you said everyone is a math person. So just roll with me. Okay. Think reading, think writing. Whether or not you love reading and writing, you have to do it, right? Because you need it to make sense of the world. You need it for life. You don't get to opt out of reading and writing after a certain grade. Mm -hmm. But then there's math. I just opted out of math. I'm never taking math again. And I'm associating doing math with a thing that ends, not a thing that I need for life. Think about the three Rs, reading, writing, and arithmetic. I I don't don't know what that word is, arithmetic, because I mean, the three Rs. So reading starts with R. Writing at least starts with the sound of R. Arithmetic does not. But it's also just about computation. It's not the fullness of mathematics. Come on. So why not, right? Why not reading, writing, and reasoning? I don't know. That's an R. Or reading, writing, and reasoning through mathing so we can get all the problem solving and and the life application. But the reason why I'm fighting for changing the language so that we have mathers, just like readers read, writers write mathers, math, why not, right? So Mm. let's look at that language of that because then that's a thing that I do, whether or not I love it. It's a thing I never stop doing. It's a part, and I'm I'm, I'm gonna be talking about this all year. It's a part of what it means to be literate if we're being honest. But we don't, we don't talk about, I wanna redefine literacy. I wanna redefine what it means to be literate in America by including mathing reasoning because then a student is taught that they're mathing all the time. Oh look at you you little math there you look at you. But when I put the pressure on an 8-year-old, you are a mathematician. And my image of a mathematician is that guy with the hair standing up and the glasses and all the calculations. Yeah. I, don't, I don't even want to be that. Like I, I don't consider myself to be a mathematician studying mathematics to the highest levels. Right. I've heard you talking with your other guests getting excited about linear functions and I, mm, 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 mm. y'all can have that. <laughs> I want to deeply understand how children learn mathematics. I want to understand all of the things that set the foundation. But there, to me, there should be a math path that is math for life. And then math that I'm choosing that leads to STEM and math, you know, a mathematician. But I don't think math should stop. I think there should be a variety of math options all the way through high school, through college, just I just I don't I, I'm so passionate about it because I don't understand what happened. And in my um, I did a talk and I mentioned that even the enslaved. It was illegal for them to learn to read and write. No one mentioned math because that wasn't even an option. Math was for the elite. So we don't we yeah. don't even have to talk about that. So. In order to move away from mathematics being a thing over here that's not for the commoner, that is reserved for the elite, we have to redefine what it means to be a mather, not doing math like it's a chore. Mm. So it's it's Ooh. the education, you know, it's the content. Like I think elementary educators need to really deeply understand math content. Not that they need to learn linear functions, but they need to learn all the ways that you can add, subtract, and the connections and relationship between the numbers and, and the progression of mathematical reasoning from counting, the counting strategies, oh, the wow. additive reasoning, multiplicative reasoning, proportional reasoning. You know, I, I get that. And I want that, but I fa- I had to seek that out. I yes. had to go look for it. And that's what I think. And, and I'm I'm gonna go ahead and share with you since I just got my acceptance, that's what my doctoral work is going to be focused on. Hey, now, gonna, we're gonna leverage literacy and all the work and energy that has been put into okay. teaching early literacy. We need to have, it's, I'm, I'm gonna tell you because it's you, Kwame. Foundations of learning for lifelong liberation. That's my project right there. All right now. <laughs> yeah, oh that's my it, goodness. that's it. that's it because that's what that's what we need. Oh my that's goodness. what the kids need. Uh, that's what the black and brown students need because for learning to actually be liberation, like li- learning equals liberation. Like for that to be true, we have to redefine what it means to be literate. And we also have to shift mindsets and beliefs about who, should have access to mathematics and then kids should get to choose, but I should be grounded and feel confident. That's what I told students. You don't ever have to fall in love with mathematics, but you will feel comfortable doing it. You will approach it with confidence and you won't hate it. That was my goal.
0: <laughs> yeah, man. So, Ooh, I'm so excited about that. <laughs> Dr. parent. Is, re- is activating yeah. right now. We we're activating right now. Yeah. Listen, so there's some things that came up as you were talking. A lot of things actually. But the first thing I want to address is the fact that as a middle school math teacher, a longtime middle school math teacher, one of the greatest frustrations I had was when I had eighth graders coming in with the fractions phobia and not having the foundations necessary to do. Pre-algebra or basic algebraic concepts that they need for the high school level, and I know that there were certain teachers they had who did the best they could and taught them the concepts in the best way that they could. But I also knew that there were some teachers who purposely avoided having to teach math.
1: Yeah, you know of what I
0: heard—that they had
1: right as I math just learner. heard Sorry, a teacher just told me that her, her neighbor teacher, so in the, in the classroom, the teacher next door to her went the entire year without teaching math because she just always avoided it. Like, how does that happen?
0: That's the question <laughs> that we have to address. How does that happen? And I think as elementary teachers, and you know this very well, because mm-hmm. you're a generalist and you have to teach all the subjects. yes. I think it's easier to show students the relationship between literacy mm-hmm. and math because of the nature of your job as an elementary teacher. Okay. Whereas with middle school and high school teachers, everything's departmentalized. Right. So you have to be a specialist in literacy to mm-hmm. teach literacy. Mm-hmm. You have to mm-hmm. be a specialist in math to teach math. You have to be a specialist in science to teach science and so on and so forth. Yep. So when students are transitioning from one class to another, they're not able to see the interconnectedness of those subjects. They're not able to see the interdisciplinary nature. Of of all these content areas, So it takes a teacher to be able to say, hey, even though this is a math class, we're still incorporating what you learn in literacy.
2: Mm -hmm. we're
0: still learning what you're incorporating in science Mm -hmm. it's all about the change in the language and the lexicon so Yeah. yeah and
1: and and the thing that i and i know you'll probably get to it later something the thing that i love teaching the most that a lot of people hate teaching the most is word problems i call them math stories i think that should be a genre of literature I mean, we have all kinds of categories of fiction anyway, but there is something about teaching concepts, practicing concepts and bringing math concepts to real life contexts that you can do through stories and cognitively guided instruction. That's what they're all about. Just CGI, it's all about bringing the math through the stories, but writing the context to be relatable And that's how you get at applying fractions. First of all, can we just acknowledge that fractions are numbers? Can we not only talk about pie and and pizza and things that are circles? Can we make linear connections on a number line? Can we count by fractions? Can we, you know, those types of things, if those things were happening early on, then when they get to you in the middle school, and when they get to high school, they have that foundation that I'm talking about. It's setting a foundation that you own. For me, it's, if I had to pick a grade band, for me, it would be kindergarten through third grade. And I, I know agree. that's not how it's typically done, but I think by third grade, you should have ownership of the four operations and foundational understanding for fractions. And if that was solid... Then we can build on that. And if you think of t- the tallest structures, need the deepest foundation, or it's not going to withstand the storms, right? So, f- foundational architects, it's a thing. I actually looked it up. I'm like, there's something to this that the foundation for a skyscraper has to go deeper and it has to be wider. You know, just we can't do this shallow foundation where they can regurgitate things for a test, mm-hmm. but then when they get to middle school, they have no understanding. And again, I take you back to how we teach reading. Yes, we start with letter recognition. Then we start with decoding and uncoding. And, and then we awareness. go into fluency, right? How, what it sounds like, what yep. it feels like, and they say, and then we read fluently, but then we comprehend. And our focus shifts to, we have to still do all those things and comprehend. Because if we just taught reading with flashcards all day, what what would they be reading? What what are they comprehending? And to me, there is a parallel on the math side. But you know, I just recently worked with a group of teachers, and I put them in the position of kindergartners because we think it's terrible that they just count, they just count. So I created just five, just five different numbers, but I gave it a new name, I gave it um, a new uh, symbol and the values and i just showed it to them and had them go through this whole exercise and then tried to have them solving equations and they were like i cannot hold on to all of this i, I don't i remember what the word looks like but I, I <laughs> that is what we do to kids math is a language people take time with it mm. get no, that comprehension and conceptual understanding so they own it
0: she- you are just speaking facts <laughs> right now. Like, we, we right here. And here's a crazy thing. One thing that I always tell the students is we're all literacy teachers.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Everybody
0: is a literacy teacher. I firmly mm-hmm. believe that. Because mm-hmm. as you mentioned, with word problems and math stories, right, you have to look for key words. You have to understand what words mean in context you do the same thing when you're reading a passage or you're trying to comprehend a passage you have to decode words
1: and i'm gonna do you one better come on you don't even have to look for key words how about you just comprehend the story how about if you make sense of the story separate from wait it's one of those stories where you have to do math look for the number pluckers There's a two and a 75 (laughs) and a 13. I'm gonna do some things with it and I'm gonna get an answer. No, just no, if there's no question, I gave students a story problem with no question. And then I said, who knows the answer? Someone still said, I do 16. What was the question? I don't know, I just guessed. Exactly, there wasn't even a question. So I believe in using visual models. I'm a a hardcore bar models, tape diagrams fan from second grade on. And even there are some things you can do with, with Unifix cubes to start, again, linear connections. But bar models are not for solving math problems. They are for making sense of the story and the context separate from solving. Just what's happening? Did someone leave? I had third graders talking about math stories you they sometimes said our board looks like a college board because it just had so much of their thinking and they would talk about it and one student would say well i think that uh, the number sentence is this because they had to write a number sentence for what's happening in the story that was separate from mm-hmm. how they found the solution so Not they did it. all this talking about it before they ever went away to decide how they would find the missing part. And they had to visualize, again, back to reading. We tell them, visualize, make a story in your head. But we have students abandon all of those things in math class. That's the issue. The same way you dig into a story to understand what's happening. If kids understand two people have some stuff and they're trying to share the stuff, then, okay, each of us is getting a part. So. The number we're starting with is going to be larger than our parts. You know, just those types of conversations. We it, Again, the number pluckers, I'm, I'm over the Sometimes I give the word problems with no numbers. So we can just talk about what's happening in the story. Who are the main characters? What, what, what's a good title for this story? What, would you, what, what title would you give it? And just have a conversation. Right. So the, the literacy connection is real. I told you you were about to talk about some literacy
0: in this math. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so let's stay on this. Let's stay on this plane for a second because I'm thinking to my. I'm thinking back to my college experience. That mm-hmm. remember, I was a math major,
2: mm-hmm. so
0: I'm taking all the calculuses. I'm taking linear algebra. I'm taking differential geometry, differential mm-hmm. calculus, mm-hmm. probability, everything. Mm-hmm. All throughout my K to twelve experience. My connection with math was very much computational. Give me the algorithm. Give Mm -hmm. me the formula. Mm -hmm. Show me the steps on how to solve it with some examples. And I'm going Mm -hmm. to replicate that. Yep. To show that I understand math. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And that's how I was able to excel in math because I got really strong with my procedural understanding. There it is. Of how to solve these problems. Mm
1: -hmm. But
0: then by the time I got to college... Where everything is more abstract, where you're starting to prove theorems and conjectures, this is where mm-hmm. the literacy component comes in. Now I'm in a position where I need to actually read through the problem <laughs> and make sense out of it. Yes. That was not something that I had a lot of practice with throughout my K to 12.
1: So mm-hmm.
0: there's a learner curve there. I end up struggling in a lot of those abstract math courses. I was a straight C student. Mm. In math throughout college, although I enjoyed, you know, my um, classes, there was a time where I lost confidence in who I was as a math person, right? Because mm-hmm. all this time I'm experiencing success. Right. I'm getting A's in every mm-hmm. math class I'm taking. And all of a sudden I get to college, I'm a straight C student. I'm like, what happened? And I'm looking at other people who are excelling and catching on to the concept so much quicker than I am. So I'm wondering, how did I fall off?
2: Mm. Mm-hmm.
0: So when you talk about literacy, like I feel that wholeheartedly because I feel like if I was given more exposure to how things works conceptually
2: yeah,
0: during those formative years, y- yep. I'll be a lot more comfortable as a college student taking on these abstract um math courses so um when i say i'm with you like i'm really with you like you're you're speaking some facts
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah i you well you can hear the passion in my voice
0: (laughs) yes uh absolutely for sure uh but i but i do feel like we have to focus on that k to three band because just like in, in literacy there is a progression that happens in math where you need to know the basics. It's very mm-hmm. incremental. You need to know what the basic operations are. You need to understand how the numbers work.
1: The relationships. The relationships. Yes.
0: The relationships and yeah. I think for me and I was talking to somebody about this, um I was talking about just like how come we don't teach number theory mm. earlier in the progression. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why is it that I waited until I got to college to learn about number theory. You know, divis- divisibility rules. Mm-hmm. Modulus, right? Mm-hmm. Modulo math. Mm-hmm. Which we don't even connect to days of the week, which we don't connect to all these other things that's cyclical time, right? Yeah, yeah. How come we don't make those connections early on in our math progression? Like this we is the, these are the things that I think about constantly. Just mm-hmm. as a math teacher, because I feel like it would make it easier for students to understand the more involved, the more complex math tasks that they have to do.
1: Oh, yeah. And we did it in my third grade class and my second grade class and my fourth grade class. We talked about the visibility rules. We talked about how numbers behave. We, you know, explored different ways of thinking about solving problems, because if you memorize things, when you forget, you forget. Mm-hmm. But if you have strategies and have a way to get back to a place, then it doesn't matter how you get there. I used to tell students, there were students, there was um, one time they gave me the lowest performing third grade students when we had this special, you can choose different things to go to. And I ended up with a math group and we're supposed to disguise it as fun, but the kids knew, <laughs> like the, the kids knew. And my marching orders were just work on their facts. I ignored Mm. that because we closed the door and that is not what we did. The first thing we did is we talked about how your brain can grow and change. We talked about their feelings about mathematics. Mm -hmm. We did affirmations. We learned breathing techniques. We did mental math strategies. And I told them, I said, here's something that teachers don't want you to know. When they ask you, These questions about your facts and they want you to answer quickly the strategies that we've used here. They can't see what's happening in your brain. So if you just give me your best thinking face like. They think that you're thinking, but you're actually using a strategy. And as long as you say the answer out loud, that's all they want to hear, because unfortunately, they were going back to classrooms where that was the reality. And they thought they weren't smart. They weren't good at math. And, and when they learned it, so many light bulbs went on for them. And they were just like, wait, I'm allowed to do that? Like, I, if I, I said, if you know your two times table, you know your fours, if you know your fours, you know your eights, just, and we talked about all the relationships. We talked about the distributive property. We used tiles for multiply and slid them apart. And we use parentheses. Like we wrote expressions in third grade that help them understand that you don't have to struggle when you see a multiplication fact that you don't know, that you can visually, in your mind, you can break it apart and put it back together and just say the thing out loud your teacher wants to hear. But I would hope we'd get to a place where the teachers understand that because that's a part of it. Don't do it that way because I don't understand it. Whoa, 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 what is that you're doing? Oh, no, no, we're not doing it that way. And, and what I would say to a student who did it a way that I didn't had never seen or didn't understand, talk me through it again. Tell me what's going on in that beautiful brain. And they share their thinking, and I admit to them, I learned something from you today. Let's test it. They were doing they were doing conjectures in third grade. They were making conjectures, testing what they believed to be true about certain numbers relationships. and relationships. I just I, everything you're saying. Even though I don't claim to be a mathematician and I did not study mathematics to the highest levels, I agree that children understanding some number theory and talking about math, how numbers work with each other, um, mm-hmm. and even, you know, the MP standards are my favorite, not just the, the standards for what they need to know, but how they need to work at knowing. Yes, you know, justifying your own reasoning, critiquing the reasoning of others, and un- recognizing patterns. I had a third grader who said, Miss Pear, Miss Pear, I think he's cheating. And I was like, okay, because they were partners and they were solving a series of problems that was supposed to reveal a pattern. But he figured out the pattern after the first two. Come on. And she was just like, he's not doing them anymore. He said, but Ms. Perry, it's because, and he just broke it down and explained. I said, can you help her see why you know this? And she was a very procedural, by the book, I partnered them on purpose, strategic partnering, partnering Mm -hmm. is key. And they, after a few weeks of working together, there was lots of laughter. She was more relaxed, thinking outside the box. And he, I didn't have to say show your work because I said so. I would say, could you please show us all what's happening in that beautiful brain of yours? You have such creative ideas. Others can learn from you. And I heard him say that when we had student-led conferences. That's what he told his mother. He said, you know what I learned? That I have to show the world what's happening in my beautiful brain. So I'm trying to do better at at showing my work. It's not compliance. Give them credit for being experts and, and thinkers and... Just celebrate their learning. So, no. uh, again, we don't have all night. <laughs> no, we don't. Oh
0: my goodness, this need to be like three hours. But but anyway, um, I like the fact that you tell students to show their thinking, mm-hmm. but you're affirming them at the same time. Yes. So they don't feel like it's accusatory. Like oh I'm oh you're cheating. That's why you got to show the work. Like no, Mm-mm. from a teacher perspective. I want to know how you're thinking about these concepts because what happens so often, as you already mentioned, is you have teachers who focus on the answer. Yes. And that's the end of it. But they're not as equally concerned about how students got to the answer because I feel like if you really want to know if a student understood what's going on, you got to see the path they took
1: to get
0: to this final answer. Mm Mm-hmm. You got to see the path.
1: Right. And they have to feel safe enough to show you. I tell, Don't cross it out. Don't scribble over it. I want to see where, where things went awry. I want to I see all of your messy thinking. Share it with me. But here's another thing people don't think about. I also want them to show their work in a way that makes sense so they can share it with someone else. But also so they can go back and see what they did themselves. Yeah. And we tell kids did you check your work before you turn in your paper and they look at it and say, Oh yeah, I checked it. I taught my third graders how to check check their work. Mm -hmm. If you feel really confident with one way of doing it, solve it another way and see if you end up with the same answer. And if you don't, which one do you believe to be true? And if you're talking with someone else and working with a partner and you disagree, walk through your steps and my steps and let's see, who wh- where where do things align where are the connections and where do we diverge like hmm, what's going on so when i said did you check your work i'm talking third grade dirts we did assessments we called them um not even checking for understanding it was like uh i don't remember but it was like they were checking their understanding but i had it with a little doctor how are we feeling about this concept so how are we feeling about adding fractions or whatever yeah and then instead of it just grade. I'd give them feedback, but then they also would go through, and this was critical, go through and see what you missed and ask yourself, was this a careless mistake? Is it something that was not careless, but I understand where I went wrong now, or is it something you still need help to understand? Mm. And they would do that. And sometimes they'd write things like, I can't believe I made this silly mistake. I need to slow down. Like they wrote themselves, they did it for themselves. And then they turned it back in. You know, just there's just so much that we could be doing to really, again, lay the foundation. And, and to be honest, uh, I know we're supposed to be talking about mindfulness. So here, I'm, I'm, I'm going to hook you up. I'm going to segue right into it. Oh, I That is,
2: That
1: yeah. is, <laughs> I was going to say, math is what led me To mindfulness. Gotcha. Teaching math and seeing all the anxiety, the lack of confidence. It was more than about content. It was about confidence. More than about just believing you're a math person. It was also about managing anxiety and trauma. It was third and fourth graders who already believed they couldn't do math because a teacher actually said something like that. Or you think about the teacher who says something like, oh, don't worry. I know it was hard for me too, okay? So, oh, so it's okay for it to be hard. Some people just can't do it. But then here's the one that's a compliment that sets them up. Okay. It's, a, it's okay, sweetheart, you're a wonderful writer. Oh, so I'm a wonderful writer. So I don't have to focus my energy on getting better at math. I can be good at that and not that. Okay, checking out. So I had students who had to unlearn that way of thinking but they also legitimately had anxiety. So even as I was learning new ways to teach mathematics and to make it more engaging and fun, I was still doing Mad Minutes. Forgive me. I didn't know any better. I was still following the traditional curriculum. We were supposed to and had to at first, but the more I learned, the less I did. And I would often abandon the curriculum, don't tell anybody, and approach it through, (laughs) <laughs> the things that I created, but here's what I would do: I would say, "All right, it's textbook day. Let's see how we did." And they're like, "Oh!" They'd open it up, and we would talk about all the things the chapter. of course, I went in to see what we we're supposed to be doing. The whole grade has to take the end of unit assessment. I'm not setting my kids up. How did we do? Do you all know what the associative property is? What? What is that? Remember that thing we did? Da 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 da. Oh, yeah, that's associative property. Oh, okay. Remember, you know, so they knew all the things they deeply understood and long division. I didn't use those words when we started the unit because that just those words. <gasps> long division. Um, yeah. Right. So I say the words afterwards, and they're like, Oh, we are not ready for that. Oh, you already did it. Remember when we were solving those word problems and you were sharing things and blah blah blah, and large quantities. That was like, Yeah, that was long division. Wait, what? You know, so then you show them the things that Everyone else is expecting them to know and do, but I always told them, but if that way doesn't work for you, work with the way that you feel comfortable and that you feel most confident. But we did breathing. We did, I, I'm, I'm the type of person, I can't just halfway do anything. Sure. So once I started learning about mindfulness for the classroom, I needed to own it at the core of my being. So I went, I got 200 hours yoga certified. I took like hundreds of hours of mindfulness training in New York, under the New York Yoga School Project, Little Flowers Yoga in Atlanta, Grounded Kids Yoga. I did those things because I wanted kids managing anxiety in math class and life. And it changed everything for all of us. It changed everything.
0: (laughs) Mindfulness. Uh, Mm -hmm. So we're going to touch on the yoga in a second. (laughs) Uh, I want to backtrack a little bit because you said something that I thought was so profound. Um, You're mentioning the fact that, you know, we have students who don't know how to check their work. Mm -hmm. We have students who don't know how to study. Mm -hmm. for So when I hear these things, I'm thinking metacognition. We talk about metacognition a lot in our yep. math circles, in our mm-hmm. just in our education circles in general. Yep, right? yep. It's just that word that we throw around just to sound smart. But how many of us actually know what it is? And how many of us actually know how to teach that mm-hmm. and model that for our students?
1: Yep. Like,
0: if we can get our students to learn how they learn.
1: Right. And think about their thinking.
0: And think and about said- their thinking.
1: Right. You said the answer, but what happened in your brain? Oh, I just knew it. You just knew 357 minus 75. You just knew that. Well, no, I did some things. Okay. Let's talk about it. What were you thinking? What connections did you make? Those conversations have to happen. And the way that mindfulness can sometimes support that is my students separate from math class, we'd have mindful moments. So, you know, we set a timer we started out with just 30 seconds and by the end of fourth grade they were asking for 10 minutes or or even longer and i'd say yeah, guys come on we got to we we got to stop <laughs> and they're like oh please can we just do it but going inward recognizing the thoughts are coming mindfulness is not about suppressing all thoughts that have nothing to do that it's not that right. it is acknowledging the thoughts and being able to move on acknowledging the thoughts and being able to categorize them i used to So they used anchor words uh, when they were breathing. But one that I love is when a thought comes into your mind, ask yourself, is it a thought for the past, something that already happened? Is it a thought for something in the future, something that's coming? Or is it going to support you right now in the present? And when the thought comes up about that birthday party that you're going to tomorrow say, that's in the future, I need to be in the present. So giving them the awareness, helping them practice, giving them um, exercises where they had to count from one to a hundred in their minds and forwards and backwards. And if they missed their place, they had to start over. You'd be surprised. I did with adults an activity where it was just, I said, we always tell kids, just focus, but we don't teach them how to focus just pay attention. They are paying attention. They're just not paying attention to you, but they're paying attention to something. So I said, can we agree that three minutes is a short amount of time? All the adults? Yes, absolutely. Okay. So I set a timer for three minutes and here's what you're going to do. You're going to focus on your breath. I taught them how to do some belly, heart and belly breathing. Sure. So, you know, inhale, exhale one, inhale, exhale two. So that's how you're going to count in your mind. You just have to get up to 10 and then back down to one in the span of three minutes. But if you have any thought that is not the breath or the count, you have to start over. After three minutes, no matter how many groups of adults I did it with, maybe in all the times I've done it, one or two people who were already practicing mindfulness or something in the room was able to do that. Count up to 10 and back. So how do you ask kids, Just focus. Just pay attention. Where are the strategies?
0: But you know what? I think sometimes the way kids pay attention may not align with how we think kids should pay attention.
1: Say that again. Okay. Say it again for the people in the back.
0: (laughs) So just just as an example, right? So often we tell students to give us eye contact. We tell students to uh, sit up straight, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. look forward watch me do this example but there may be a student who's doodling Mm -hmm. you may have a student who's doodling as you're doing the example and Mm -hmm. you might be that teacher that does a sneak attack like i what i say (laughs) you 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 know what we're talking about and then oh yeah will repeat everything you said said. verbatim yeah like you can't say nothing Right, there's no rebuttal. It's like the oh, doodling they got you,
1: yeah, and the doodling was helping them process and And I had um common glitter jars available to students at all times, and you shake it and you watch the glitter settle, and I made them with them, they had them to take home. That wasn't a distraction. That was something that helped them to focus even more. And there's even science that says that helping them have a point of focus can help them focus on the things they need to focus on. And you'll get a kick out of this. I know you have a little one. My kids are grown now, but my son, I homeschooled for a few years, my kids and others. Okay. And my son was a tumbler, a jumper, a flipper. He is the dude, right? So here we are, we're doing our lessons and he's somersaulting and hopping in. And just like you said, I got you. What was I just saying? And he would just stop like midterm. 72 and go right back to it, and I'm like, <laughs> he is paying attention.
0: <laughs> like you, you can't even mad. You can't even get mad. Yeah,
1: you, you can't and even get
0: mad. Right, oh, fidget man.
1: spinners and stress balls. They think when it becomes a fad, it becomes a problem. But my son was 21, I think, when fidget spinners came out. And the little cubes and all of those. He said, mom, this would have saved me. And I also think about my friend in fourth grade to just have something that just had that steady. He said, can I get one? I Sure. <laughs> At 21, he got one. He was like, this is so soothing. It's so calming. So yeah, it, everyone doesn't attend the same way. And he got in trouble for things like his, his face, his affect didn't look engaged.
2: It's mm-hmm. like, mom,
1: it's my thinking face. Like, I I don't know what to, the teacher gave me a low grade in in effort because my face didn't look engaged. <laughs>
0: can we can we can we talk about that for a second? <laughs> effort, right? Right. And for me, I've always been one to grade students not just on correctness, but but effort.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, I don't I don't subscribe to the idea of giving a student a zero if they've shown like they're thinking. Mm -hmm. Maybe all the answers are wrong, but I can see their thinking, Mm -hmm. right? And it's also a way for them to keep on going because they see a zero, it's like, nah, I'm good. If if they keep piling on zeros and zeros and zeros. You cannot
1: recover from a zero. It takes, it drags.
0: (laughs) Unless you like, so for me, it's like, all right, I'm gonna give you some points. Cause I want you to keep on going.
2: Mm-hmm, I don't want mm-hmm. you to give up.
0: But mm-hmm. I'm still going to provide you with the feedback that you need in order to, you know, get the reasoning right. In order to, you know, get to where we have to go. And and I think that it, it's something that w- we got to expand our our thinking about is effort. What does effort look like? What does it sound like? It's not always the student who's raising the hand every time. Exactly. That doesn't always equate to effort or participation it does not sometimes it's a student who's just quiet by nature but guess mm-hmm. what they show effort in different ways they show effort in how they do their work you know mm-hmm. they show they show effort in how they support their peers as they're going through different tasks effort can manifest itself in different ways but we seem to have this singular thinking around effort where it can only equate to Raising your hand like right. and, and saying the answers verbally in class like that's mm-hmm. that's what engagement looks like
1: yeah and for some kids like my son you know they recommended medication for ADD and he had processing and all of these things but he wanted to do it on his own and to figure it out. He said, mom, I did what they said. I tried the medication. I don't like the way it makes me feel when it's time for me to go to basketball practice. I'm, I, I can't, I'm like not coordinated, but I, I know what it feels like to be on. So he was working extra hard to pull himself back and to use his mindfulness techniques. And even when they did a study in New York, it was written up in the times a couple of years ago and they had a control group They had kids medicated for ADHD and they had kids who were uh, learning yoga and mindfulness and the kids who were doing yoga and mindfulness, their results were equal with those who were medicated and better than those who had nothing. But he was work. that was taking effort Mm. to to know I need to be listening to what the the teacher is saying. I need to be focused in this moment. And I'm doing, I remember to bring everything to class, you know, that frontal lobe, that thing is real. It's like, I know I watched you do your homework. How did you get a zero for homework? Well, I took it, but it was in my notebook and it was in the locker. And then the teacher wouldn't let me go get it because she said I should be prepared when I get it. Just all those things. That's, I mean, he did the work. He put in the effort and was punished because he was disorganized. So how are we supporting students to help them with their executive functioning and not punish them because we say we don't see the effort? And like you said, what does it look like? What does it have to look like? What does it look like for each student? What does it look like for certain students? Yeah. And maybe the straight A student isn't putting in a lot of effort. (laughs) Maybe they're great memorizers.
0: That's a whole nother conversation. (laughs) We're not even going to open up that can of worms because that's going to take us another hour to unpack that. that, to unpack memorization. And how it can be, and how it has been um, detrimental Mm -hmm. to so many of our math learners. Um, Yeah. I mean, we come from that old school era where it was all about rote memorization. You memorize Mm -hmm. the timetables, you memorize how to do two digit subtraction, how -hmm. to remember the steps tomorrow and all that. But we can't say why we do that. We don't connect Uh -uh. it to place value. We don't connect it to. I'm, I'm, you know, my,
1: and, and my favorite example is I had a parent that said my child isn't learning the algorithm for subtraction and blah blah blah. I said I'm gonna give you an example of why you need to let me do my job. And I said if I gave your child the problem two thousand minus one thousand nine hundred ninety eight, yes, they would start all the ninja slicing of those zeros, chopping things, crossing change it to the 10, to the nine, to the 10, to the... Wouldn't you rather they look at that and say, oh, that's two. <laughs> just, the number sense, the awareness, the re- understanding of relationships, why in the world would I do all that? Or use compensation, take one from both and now you have a, a, a 1,999 to deal with, with no crossing. We t- we had those conversations in my third grade classroom and in my fourth grade classroom.
0: Mm. So I think that's the reason why number talks have yeah. to be um, a living mm-hmm. component in our math classrooms, because I think when students have the opportunity to ask the questions that you ask as a young learner,
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: that's going to further pique their curiosity and it's going to Push them to inquire more about the nature of numbers, the relations between numbers, and they'll yes. then go into this exploratory phase where they want to find more connections. Like I find yes. that interesting. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's
1: like that's what it's all about, mathers. That's what I'm saying. Mathers using mathematics to make sense of their world and thinking about. My students were talking about math at lunch and in the hallways. Not because I made them or they were trying to solve a specific thing. They were just starting to notice that mathematics was everywhere and it was a part of everything.
0: So, Yes, yeah, for sure. So um, before we get into the lightning round, I do want to give you an opportunity to just share about my mathematical mind. So right. this is um name of your company and, and just this movement that you have, this mathers movement. So talk to us about the overarching mission that you want to achieve with my mathematical mind. And uh, you shared a lot about it just through our dialogue together, but if there's anything extra that you want to include, I want to give you the floor to do that.
1: Sure. So my mathematical mind was just, it was born out of that thinking that everyone needs to first acknowledge, believe, and hold on to having a mathematical mind. And, and knowing that some people weren't born with a math brain and others were born with some other kind of brain and that your brain continues to change and grow and, and you can make connections and you can learn what you didn't learn and you can connect new ideas to those that you have and that you have your own schema and it's not stagnant and it can continue to grow. So that's a big part of it. A bit. Another piece is, that we approach the teaching of mathematics mindfully. So I call it a mindful approach to mathematics. I did work with students, but I also did work with teachers because it's important to address math avoidance, math anxiety, math shame, and math trauma. So a lot of the PD that I did with teachers and the work that I did with students, even throughout the pandemic, I had virtual math camps. I worked with students in small groups, and the focus was more about confidence than content and about strategies for self-regulation. And, and that's what we do at My Mathematical Mind. We help teachers to gain confidence in their understanding of the math content they're teaching, but also addressing. Because I've, I've had teachers say, fake it till you make it. I, I have math anxiety. I just don't let my students know that. Oh, they know it. So it's about acknowledging that and healing. In some cases, people need to heal from math trauma. So that's the work that we do. I work a lot with others in the field and it has grown and expanded. I do a lot of work with elementary educators around um, story problems. Like I said, that's one of my favorite, favorite things, visualizing for mathematical understanding. And I'm really just trying to narrow it, especially as I start this program in the fall, because I do, I'm really great at many things, but I don't ever want to be a jack of all trades and a master of none or a Jackie, if you will. Sure. Um, (laughs) But I want to pick my lane. I want to stay in my lane, which is why I'm with black women who rock math. And if it's my thing, then I own it. But if it's Dion's thing, I hand it off to her. If it's Kanika's thing, I hand it off to her. And our our women in mathematics education community is growing in a way that we are doing that because we're not competitors. If everyone knows, if, if you walk in your gifts and you harness your gifts and talents and give it the energy, I'm not worried about someone taking from me. There is so much work for all of us to do. You know, that so... You know, I, I guess that answers your question. But it, it was for me the marriage of mindfulness, uh, mindful movement, all of those things combined with learning math in a new and different way. Yeah. So that's how that's what it was born out of.
0: Wow, and and I think if we as math educators can show our students that we can be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Even with all the math knowledge we have, mm-hmm. that's going to give them space mm-hmm. and give them the freedom to be vulnerable and Absolutely. say, you know what? I don't got I don't got it. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And it's okay to acknowledge that. Like there are times where I don't know the answer to a question. And I should not be ashamed to acknowledge that in front of my students because then it lets them know that I'm not perfect.
1: Yes, and I would fuss at my students if I made a mistake, and I'm just going on and going on, and they get quiet, and I look, are you y'all? Let me stand here with this mistake on. The, you better call me out, and they're like, well, I call me out, and then we'll talk about it. So they felt comfortable pushing back and having conversations, and I would admit, like, oh yeah, I did that. That's just wrong. <laughs> just yeah, I didn't try to play it off. Like, oh, oh no, I meant to do that so I could see if you knew. No, I messed up. I added Mm -hmm. that incorrectly, moving too quickly. So we have to be vulnerable and admit when we don't understand what they did. I don't understand what you did. Help me. Tell me again. Will that always work? Having those conversations are so critical.
0: I'll do you one better. Uh When I had my sixth grade class, I used to, you know, type up the quizzes I would give them. Mm -hmm. And I always told them, if I make a mistake, <laughs> I, if I if I do a typo on it, and one of the classmates calls it out, every guy gets everybody gets plus five, plus five points every time I make a mistake. Okay. <laughs> so it was a way to keep me sharp. It was a way to hold mm-hmm. me accountable but also motivated students to not only read for typos, but to actually read the questions that they had to answer. And boy, they they got so excited. Like, ooh, (laughs) plus five, typo, plus five. And I'm like, oh. Oh. (laughs) And yo, for some, I had some kids that sure enough, if I didn't make the mistakes, they probably would have had D's They end up getting B's All because I wasn't on top of my game But because it they had be, the yeah. awareness To read it's yeah. like okay Alright sure? I'll I give it to y'all Who? But It's always refreshing to see That they're on top of their game like that And they have the confidence Just be like listen mm-mm, what, what's, what's up with you today teach What's going yeah. on
1: Yeah. Or even the safe space to say, you know, when I would take solutions like you talked about number talks, I would just say anyone else? Anyone have a different solution? My favorite was when a student had a solution that I I knew it was wrong, but my face didn't give it away. Mm
2: -hmm. And I
1: just said, all right, so walk us through it. How did you get there? And they start explaining and then they tilt their head just a little bit and they go, wait, I changed my mind. I see what I did. Or they say, well, now that Kwame explained, I think my answer might not be right. You know, and they can say it out loud and no one's laughing because we're all building our math identities. Lord, help us all. We need some positive math identity building and you need the safe community to do that. So that's some of the work I do, too. Mm. Talking about how to build um, positive math identities in students and teachers.
0: (laughs) So crucial. So crucial. So we've had a great conversation and we're just going to wrap it up with this lightning round. So I have some quick hitter questions. All right. And, you know, let's see what we get. All right. Most difficult math content area to teach or learn.
1: Oh, yikes. For me to learn was functions, the patterns and just seeing them automatically. It wasn't that I couldn't. I just wanted people to be quiet. You know, mm. when they quickly saw patterns and I was just like, shh, I don't see it yet. They're like, oh, it's so easy. It's just, shh, quick leave me alone. I'm trying to understand. So that was for me, something that was difficult to teach. I would say is multiplying and dividing fractions. Not one of the other. Mm. multiplying is that. And it's not because I don't know how. It's because I don't want flip change, whatever y'all say. When they, they just said, do what we said, turn the other one upside down. But now they have cute little sayings. I didn't want kids to have to just learn that. I wanted them to understand what's happening. So for me, it's okay, dividing. So I had a student and I, it's a quick story, but third graders, again, we're not even supposed to be doing multiplying fractions, but I gave them a word problem again, And it was about if you had this many halves of apples and, you know, already cut up in this many students. And the student wrote five times one half is equal to. And I said, what are you doing? You trying to get me fired? I'm not supposed to be teaching, you know, multiplying fractions. And he said, what? Because I would, you know, say things like that. He was like, but you always talked about groups of and if it's three times five would be three groups of five. So it's five groups of one half. Oh, okay. well, I'm going to leave you alone. You know, so. Again, I enjoy teaching it, but it's hard to teach it without just falling into the habits of, if you just flip the second one, or, you know, you're trying to share three with five, it's three things, you know, it's like, it. but no, don't, don't just give that to them, helping them discover it so that they own it. So that's what makes it hard.
0: Yeah. And just confession, I didn't know why we flipped the reciprocal until... I started teaching math. I believe it. Real talk.
1: I believe it. Because every (laughs) time I get ready to teach it, I have to kind of step back and remind myself and give myself the language to help me think about what I'm doing. And also something that helps is knowing that, like in in, uh, CGI, when we do problem types, there are no division problem types. There are only multiplication problem types. And division is a reflection of, a missing factor so even when I see dividing fractions I think about it as I don't know how many groups are in this fraction but it will give me this total amount you know so I, I use that understanding and reasoning all the time for myself and then sure. I start working with the students like okay so as if I know
0: for mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> sure um favorite math concept
1: Well, it's not just a math concept. I told you my favorite thing in the whole wide world is teaching math Math stories, word problems, but all different math concepts. You can continue to practice all year long the problems that, you know, money, it only comes up in one chapter and then you never see it again. But I can keep writing story problems about money and context with money. So I love teaching word problems, especially with bar models and helping kids make sense of stories so that they can do the math without becoming a number pluckers.
0: There we go. <laughs> if you can invite three influential figures that are alive to dinner, who would they be?
1: Okay. Normally, I'm a rule follower, but I know you said three, but I need to do four. So here's why. Old school. Right.
0: We'll bring another seat, man. No problem.
1: <laughs> yes. I'll even stand because these women right here, it, I, it, it, it would be worth it. All so right. Maya Angelou, Because she, I mean, she's just so amazing, but something that I love and and I'm intrigued by that I'd love to hear more. She made a decision to quiet her own voice for five years because of trauma. And then at some point, she made a decision to reclaim her voice and amplify for the world, right? So I would love to hear more about her, um, finding herself, amplifying her voice, stepping into the fullness of her. So that's her, but then there's this modern day, Shonda Rhimes, who mm. just, I, I would love to, she talks about writing stories in the pantry, you know, hiding out and, and not really wanting to engage with the world in some ways in her um, year of yes, and convincing herself that she had to say yes to more things and look what happened. She said yes to a whole lot of things and I'm all about Chanda. come on, bring it. So those are my, you know, my writing people. But then here are my other two people. Angela Bassett, Queen Ooh, Mother. My gosh. Lord, I ju- she just she she just walks through life with such grace. I just would love to just her voice, hear her voice, just talking at the dinner table and just asking questions and hearing her answers. She's avoided scandal. She's just been so, just, she's done life so beautifully and has aged so gracefully. I need to know what's in her potion as well. I do <laughs> And then my last one, India Ari, because I love everything she does musically, but I also know that she you know, was late to the game and te- learning the guitar and, and that she just, when I went to her concert right before the pandemic, I just felt like we were in her really giant living room hanging out and she could sing or she could just chat and talk. And she was singing about things that people weren't talking about. And I love that about her, that she just normalized some things and walked in her own truth through her music. So I broke the rules.
0: It's all good. All right. One more. Who would you like to see on this podcast as a guest?
1: Oh, Ooh. Hmm. See, oh, that's not fair. Oh, that's not fair. <laughs> Come on now. All right. It is about math. It is about math. Sure. But see, I, I'm like thinking about culturally responsive teaching, culturally relevant teaching. And I know that Gloria Latson Billings focused on ELA. But then there was this moment where she said, come on math people, get on board, <laughs> like figure it out. This is about math also. And I would love to have her on the podcast, uh, Zaretta Hammond, like all the people who did the work for culturally responsive or relevant teaching, a lot of them focused on it through the lens of ELA or social studies and history. And I would love, cause I know they believe that it is true for the math also. Yes. So I, I would love to hear them just say it loud and proud, like, hello, it is also about math. So mm. I don't know if, you know, you have that kind of pull, but
0: oh, come on, <laughs> um, not the OG, not, not the OG, uh, Dr. GLB, you know,
1: mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. but I could definitely try.
1: Go for it. I say um, go for it.
0: And then um, Zaretta Hammond for sure. Um, you know, we we read Cultural Responsive Teaching you know, in the brain. Like I think everybody done read that book at this point. Right, right. <laughs> and recited from top to bottom. So like she's somebody who I definitely would love to have on any of my podcasts for sure.
1: So how about I give you one you could actually do? Come on. And I don't even know if you've read her book yet. Um, Dr. Pamela Seda. And Kendall Brown choosing to see,
0: choosing to see. We
1: are actually in a women's group together, um, black women in math education. So she's within reach. Just saying, and
0: she's actually on my uh, guest list anyway. So okay, I'm working. I'm working my way through. I'm working she my way is through now.
1: Phenomenal, and I've been in like four different book studies with that book.
0: <laughs>
2: okay,
1: all right. One of which she led. So. She,
0: she would be a great one. I definitely, um for sure. So, Deborah, thank you so much. Uh, This has just been an awesome conversation. Wish we had a lot more time, but you know what? This is good. 80 minutes is pretty good. We did the thing. I will take it. I will take it. <laughs> Listen, can you let people know how they can connect with you on social media and also um, let people know about the My Mathematical Mind and also the um, – Black Woman uh, Rock Math website. Let them know.
1: All right. So on Twitter, you can find me at at DebParrot1, but you can also find me on all platforms through Black Woman Rock Math. MyMathematicalMind.com is the website where you can find out more about what we do or get your math or movement shirts. And like I said, across all platforms, Black Woman Rock Math, if you reach out there, you can find me on all the platforms. So. Thank you so, so, so much for having me as a guest. This has been awesome.
0: (laughs) Thank you. And wish you a good rest of the day.
1: Thanks so much. Have a lovely evening.
0: All right. All right, y'all. So we're going to wrap up another phenomenal episode of Radical Math Talk. And as always, I want to wish you all a good morning, good afternoon, good night, wherever you are in the world. And we're going to do this again another time. Peace out, y'all. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Radical Math Talk. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, and all other streaming platforms. We are always striving to provide you with quality content. So if you love what you heard today... Please leave a review on Apple podcast And to check out the video episodes of the podcast, you can visit our website at Identity Talk for 4, Educators.com. I'll say it one more time Identity Talk for Educators.com. Thank you and have a great day.